And finally, if marriage is religious, shouldn't I believe in the religion? I've been to more weddings than my friends where the people on the altar don't believe in the religion of the church. They've invited us too. Some of them even go to classes with the priest in advance to more elaborately lie about believing in a religion they don't believe in just to have a wedding in a fancy building. That is insane. Damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high school. Cause my best days would be Hey everyone, welcome to Unlearning Youth Group, where the podcast where we take a look at all the things we learned back in youth group, find the good, unlearn the bad, and figure out where the heck we go from here. We have met. My name is Jonathan Crone, and we're joined, as always, by our co-host, Mr. Eric Williams. Eric, go ahead and say hey to the people. Hey, what is up? I'm excited about today. I'm excited about all these weeks. I feel like I say I'm excited about it all the time, but literally every single You like the topics, conflict. Yeah, you like the, the conflict. The, I, I do. I love it. I, it's, it's a spiritual gift of mine, is to like to wade into uh, conflict areas and try to like untangle some things. And boy, uh, again, we are whittling down our audience. I think every episode this season. So if you're still with us, congratulations, good luck, buckle up. Yeah. We got another one going for us. Hey, before I get, go all the way in that opening line was from comedian bill, um, Mike Birbiglia. And I just saw it on TikTok and thought it was hilarious and it fit with what we were talking about today. So hopefully you laughed at that one as much as I did. But we're going to give you the typical disclaimer that we've been giving every episode this season. We want to tell you what we're about, what we're not about. This season's not about trying to convince you to vote one way or the other. I think today might be the most we get into, hey, we think you should vote this way or you should care about it in this way. But we're not about telling you why you should vote for one certain party more than another. And we're not into shaming you into feeling guilty about who you voted for in the past or who you plan to vote for in the future. What we are about is looking at how some topics have been co-opted by politicians who have used the church for political gain and political yep. operatives. It was about showing how there's there are issues that Christians must care about while acknowledging that we have liberty to come to different conclusions about how to fix those issues. And ultimately, it's about reframing the role of politics within our Christian worldview. So, Eric, mm. today we've been promoting this episode as uh, LGBTQ rights. But as I got into writing it more and more, I realized I'm still learning about and processing a lot of different things within that whole spectrum of rights. Like when it yep. comes to trans rights, I don't know enough yet to have an informed opinion to where I feel comfortable talking about it to an audience like this. So I think for today, I'd like to stick to the topic of same sex marriage. Yeah, I think it's, um, to be honest for our audience, when, when we planned out this season and we like went through all of the topics, we're like, Hey, politics, let's talk about some political hot button issues. And then I think with almost every single one we've done, it's been like, this giant issue that we can't possibly cover in 30 to 40 minutes, let alone an hour, 50 minutes, which I think some of these episodes end up being. And it's like, uh, so we need to whittle it down to one piece at a time. So if you came into this thinking like, okay, we're going to have a comprehensive discussion on, you know, on, uh, this, the spectrum on, you know, queer rights on LGBTQ issues, we just can't, and we'll probably have to cover it in other pieces in other seasons but specifically because it's timely in our politics, 
I think the closest thing to what we can chat about right now is the issue of uh, marriage equality. Yes. And so you might be asking why talk about that in 2022? Wasn't that decided back in 2015? And the answer is yes, it was decided, but it's creeping back into today's issue. So just to give you a background, because I know a lot of people listening to this, they're not like they kind of steer away from politics. So this is the most political you may have ever gotten. So I want to give you some history real quick. Over the summer, when the Supreme Court voted to overturn Roe v. Wade, Justice Clarence Thomas, he wrote that the court, quote, should reconsider all of this court's substantive due process precedents, including Griswold, Lawrence, and Obergefell. And if you don't know what those are, because they're Supreme Court cases, most people don't know what they are, but it was the Obergefell, Obergefell case in 2015 that legalized same-sex marriage in all 50 states. So in essence, what he's saying is the Supreme Court should go back and revisit if that case should still stand, because the difference between now and in 2015 is the court now is much more conservative-leaning than it was seven years ago. So that's the reason this is back in the news. This summer, the U.S. House passed the Respect for Marriage Act to codify same-sex marriage. There were 157 Republicans who voted against that bill, 47 Republicans voted for it, and all Democrats voted for it as well. As of the time we're recording, it's September 2nd when we're recording, the U.S. Senate hasn't taken a vote on that bill. And that mm -hmm. could change by the time this episode comes out in late October. But for now, as we plan this out, it, that's, that's the language and the setting that we're sitting under. So currently, same-sex marriage is an issue that's being discussed in our culture at large. So it's important for us to take a look at what we were taught back in youth group, find the good, unlearn the bad, and figure out where the heck we go from here, just like we try to do with every episode. So Eric, what were we taught about same-sex marriage in the church in the 2000s and before? <laughs> uh immediately when you ask that question, a bunch of, um, a bunch of phrases come to my mind that are like so cringe and damaging right now that, um, you know, are in along the same lines as let's go Brandon and all these other things that we've talked about. Like, you know, the, the God, uh, God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, you know, like all of those things that in, in the two thousands, especially, I mean, like in the, I think for, for those of us who have been there, there was a bit of head nodding and amening and, you know, and it was like, there were these, it's all we knew these, these platitude things that were said. And you're like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, you're taking the Bible out of context. God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. You're like, all right, amen. That's right. You know what I mean? And like somehow, um, the idea of traditional marriage, quote unquote, which we'll get into why that's not even a real thing that is true. in uh, in the future, but the idea of traditional marriage needed to be protected as an institution. And if we allow the, you know, the same sex couples to get married, it violates the institution of marriage and somehow it's going to destroy the family and our family values and somehow allowing two people that are of the same uh, gender uh, to marry each other uh, is going to tear down everything we know and love about the way that we, uh, the way that we live life. 
So let me take it even further. When we did our purity talks, and I want to say something that I've said in a, in a talk before, so I'm guilty of this. We taught that sex was only for marriage, mm-hmm. which I believe. And then we said that marriage is for one man and one woman for one life. And so that, because we were teaching so much in purity culture about sex, we always defined marriage as one man, one woman, one life. That marriage had to be between opposite sex couples. It was not for, it was not designed to be by God between same sex couples. We taught that marriage was invented by God and his definition of it matters most because it's the metaphor that the Bible most often used when talking about the relationship between God and his people. Because of that, because it's the metaphor that God used most, we have to protect the sanctity of marriage with everything that we have. Mm. Protecting that sanctity is a big thing. And it's, it's this creeping in of like, somehow God needs our protection and somehow the things of God need us to, you know, stand up for it. And, um, then the other, hey, let me interrupt like, real quick. Yeah. Just so, just so we're clear on definitions, we've been really, we, we want to do this a lot this season so that we know the words we're talking about. Sanctity, the actual definition is the state or quality of being holy, sacred, or saintly. So when we're talking about protecting the sanctity of marriage, we're saying that marriage is holy and sacred. So I just want to make sure like that's a, that's a phrase and a statement that we say a lot in the church that protect the sanctity of something. But in case it's lost its meaning, that's the meaning of it. Yeah. And which is ironic uh, because like it, first of all, two things we, we were taught, or at least the underlying assumption was that Christianity and specifically uh, you know, kind of the Western version of Christianity had a monopoly on marriage. Anything outside of the Christian, the Western version of Christian marriage um, was not true marriage. It was not a sanctified marriage as if no other cultures, religions, you know, atheists could have some sort of union between man and woman. So that, you know, that was one thing. And then the other thing was um, that same sex marriage was the way to uh, was the most important way, I guess I would say, or the most focused on way that. Um, we could degrade the sanctity of marriage, not divorce, um, not adultery, um, not pornography, not any of the other things, which, you know, Christians will speak out against, but some of those things are much more culturally acceptable and somehow don't um, degrade the sanctity of marriage as much as seeing two monogamous uh, same-sex people committing each other to, to, a, to a, you know, union because of their love. And here's what's interesting. The divorce rate, just in general, you've probably heard that it's like 50% and that Christians are just as high as the the non-Christian rate. But the actual divorce rate is somewhere around 30%, depending on who you read and what study you look at. But there was a study done that said nominal Christians, people who call themselves Christian but don't actively engage in their faith, they're actually 20% more likely than the general population to get divorced. So. You've, you've probably heard this idea that Christians are just as much, but it's actually that people who call themselves Christians, but don't actually engage their faith. They're the ones who are so loud about protecting biblical values and who are more likely to be Christian nationalists or something like that. 
those are the ones that are more likely to get divorced than actual people who are following Jesus. So if you're listening to this podcast, my guess is you're more active in your faith than that group of people. But I just find it interesting that the loudest group is actually the group that's most likely to get divorced. Yeah. Which doesn't protect the sanctity of marriage. Right. Exactly. And I think like, I will argue this all day that when uh, when Christians said nothing, uh, or, or I should say, when Christians weren't as vocal about uh, no fault divorces and and you know that sort of thing, I mean, like that that is one piece. When we go back in time and say, what what do you think is destroying the sanctity of marriage more? It's probably that. It's probably also purity culture, like we talked about too, because it was like having such a uh, strong arm forcing in of like think about it today. I mean, you went to Bible college, so you know this better than I do. A lot of, a lot of couples get married and they get married early and before getting to, yeah, getting to know each other because they want to have sex. And I can't tell you how many people in college either got married because of that. They wanted to have sex and it was, you have to have, you have to be married to have sex. It was Jerry Jr. would say, you're around the most people, like-minded people you'll ever be in your life. So you need to find a spouse before you graduate. And then I can't, like, I worked in the athletic department and for the football team at Liberty. Yep. I cannot tell you how many athletes got married because they got their girlfriend pregnant. Yeah, I was going to say, it's either because you want to have sex or you already had sex and now you have to make it right. You know, or the justification was, I remember talking to people where it was, uh, my, my girlfriend and I are having sex cause we know we're going to get married anyway. Right. And that was like, it all revolved around sex as opposed Correct. to protecting any sort of sanctity. And the way we talked about purity culture within the church and we turned another episode into a purity culture episode. I'm, I'm proud there of us. Yep, uh, exactly. Another, another example, my, my mother-in-law, she got married to a man who she should have never married ever but they had sex and this was back in the seventies and she thought because they had sex, they had to get married now yep. because that's what she was taught in church. So this isn't just an eighties and nineties and two thousands thing. This was back to the seventies. Like she thought because of that, she had to marry him and then he had multiple affairs and they got divorced in the nineties. And so my wife was a casualty of that yeah. divorce. And so all the issues that that's not protecting the sanctity of marriage when you go into marriage because you had sex outside of God's design. Right. So you're not, you're not making marriage sacred. If you're not two wrongs, don't make a right is what I'm exactly. getting at. Yeah. Marriage shouldn't so, be a consequence. You know, that's the problem. Yeah. It's like <laughs> if marriage, marriage is sacred is, and holy, it shouldn't be a consequence of a, of a sinful act. Right. Yeah, exactly. Or a, or a mistake okay. or a one-time thing or a whatever, you know what I mean? Whatever you want to call it. I mean, yeah, sinful act, but like it should not, that's not when you say, Hey, like what, what's your marriage story? It's like, well, I felt obligated because, uh, one thing led to another and, you know, we ended up, uh, you know, bumping up, <laughs> <laughs> say it, say it. Bumping. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, one thing led to another and we ended up like bumping uglies in the back of, uh, the Ford F-150, you know, like that's just. That's not the sanctity of marriage that I think. It's a country song you know, about high school. I, I know. Exactly. Uh, I never know where that line is. You know, I mean, we're going to cut this out, but I never know where that line is of like, yes, this is right. This is, this is Eric appropriate for the podcast. And then it's like, nope. Anyway, or what's going to get you Matt Chandler? <sighs> it's, 
yeah, my cra- <laughs> exactly. If if crass humor was the uh, was the was the way that disqualifies you from ministry, then I guess I'm never getting back into ministry. We'll get back to that conversation in just a second. Hey, Jonathan, do you know what my seventh least favorite word in the Christian Youth Group Dictionary is? I have ideas, but no. If you said swag, you would be right. Every conference and event we would attend, no doubt had swag. You know what's worse than swag? Swag that sucks. So if you're looking for shirts and other merchandise that doesn't suck, we have new merch at unlearningyouthgroup.com. Like an I Survive Purity Culture crop top or a Find the Good baseball tee. You can find it all at unlearningyouthgroup.com. Now, back to the conversation. All right, so that was what we were taught. And each week we try to find the good, unlearn the bad, and figure out where the heck we go from here. And like last week, I want to go ahead and find the good first before we unlearn the bad. Hmm. So Eric, what was good about what we were taught about marriage growing up? Uh, very similar to a lot of the things that we've talked about, like the the execution, I need to acknowledge, was not great. But if we if we have to give the benefit of the doubt and figure out like, Let's dig back to the origins of where we got so bad. What was so good is that marriage should be sanctified. Like marriage is important. I'm married. You're married. I think there are things in marriage that both of us would agree and we would go, okay, we need to take this seriously. Um, if I was to go back and talk to, uh, you know, 19, 20 year old Eric, there are things that I would tell him differently about marriage now than what I thought back then. And I think, you know, having kids, knowing that a strong marriage is important for kids, it's important for our society, things like that. Uh, inviting God into your marriage, I think we would both agree, is uh, that is better than not. So you know, we'll talk about this later. Like, do I think that people who don't believe in God can get married? Like, yes, I'm straight up, get married all you want. Do I believe that involving God as a, as a key co-equal part of your of your marriage is important. Yes. Is better than not having him. Yes. Um, so those are all the things of like, yes, let's encourage that. There is a design. There is a, there is a way that is, is better for your marriage, um, than others. And I think we've talked about this in other episodes, you know, reduce or significantly cut out the amount of, uh, physical intimacy you have before getting, before making a commitment like that. Yeah. I think we could both agree on that one, but other things like that. So yes, there are things that are going to make your marriage healthier because they are following, uh, more of what God says, whether you want to call it his design or sinful or not. He's like, Hey, it's going to go better. If you do it this way, the bottom line, your marriage is probably going to be better if you do these things. So I would say that that's the right approach is to put that focus and elevate marriage as something that you should take seriously and that you should, um, walk into knowing. And, you know, I mean, the, the sanctity issue, uh, definitely helps in the marriage side. Yes. And I think if we look at marriage through our eyes in 2022 and what we view marriage as today, I think that what we view marriage in the church today that traces its way back to the garden. Before the fall, it was Adam and Eve together, no sin around. I think that that was God's design for that relationship. I'm comfortable saying that. We see it in the creation story. So I think God created it to be that way. However, 
as we switch and move into what we got wrong about this approach, we see that our view of marriage today does not match up with the historical view of what marriage has been throughout culture at large for a few thousand years at this point. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's, that's the thing. So yeah, the creation story, you got Adam and Eve. Um, but what I would say is like, if we want to just assume that God created marriage in the creation, great, but that's not the only place marriage exists and has gone outside of it. I mean, because also we don't know that there was romantic love between Adam and Eve, right? Which is the way we think of marriage today. There nowhere in the scripture does it say that there is a there is a romantic the way we view love and marriage written in the scripture. Right. And I go back to your 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 example of being in, in Bible college. Like that was the best option that they had available. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, sure, there it could have been romantic, all that kind of stuff. I, but let's we don't know. Let's play this out a little bit. It's like, hey, uh, you two are the only two. If you take a literal view of the creation story and this is what you believe, it's like, okay, they were the only two there. If it's allegorical, um, talking about the creation of whatever, like still there was a utility uh, in place outside of love of marriage. You know, they were co-laborers. I, I really don't like that buzzword in church now, but they were co-laborers that each had a job to do in the garden and this was their role. And it was like, they were doing it together. And so why did marriages or why did uh, pair bonding form in early humans from what we could see anthropologically? It's because that's what helped keep your gene structure together. That's what helped keep the altruistic um, society together because outside of a pair bonding, it does not make sense for you to add. You needed help on the farm. Yeah, exactly. And it, but the other thing is it does not make sense for you to advocate or sacrifice for other human beings when really the best thing to do from a Darwinian perspective is to look out for yourself. And so if you're honest, caring about a a spouse and caring about kids, one spouse and the kids you procreate is not beneficial for you and your survival. So, you know, like there's all of these things that, that marriage and pair bonding makes better for you as you get, you know, move on. So to think that there's some sort of monopoly on marriage within the Christian tradition, it just doesn't make sense because you're growing in these different areas and you're seeing anthropologically why marriage matters. Um, and then the ideas that we have right now. Marriage and the way we look at it doesn't make sense outside of God. Sure. Yeah. And, and I mean, we have a a narrow view of that when you look at marriage in the at-large view of humanity. The way we view marriage as Christians is different than humanity in general because of our Christian worldview. Yeah. And uh, it actually, okay, so this guy has gotten a lot of press lately, but like Andrew Tate, you know, he's one of these, I don't know if you know who Andrew Tate is, but he's a talking head. Uh, I would say uh, largely misogynistic, if not outright misogynistic. And I'm saying some outright. Of the things that there are, uh, there are young dudes that just love listening to Andrew Tate and his, his um, examples of what, what men should do. And part of it is like, it doesn't make sense to make monogamous, to be monogamous. It doesn't make sense to settle down. You know, that's the woman's job to raise kids and you should just be out there spreading your seed and getting your DNA out there. 
Oh. Andrew Tate looks at one of those parables and says, there was a sower who was out there sowing some seed <laughs> and he's just throwing it everywhere. And he goes, end of story. That's probably the only part of the Bible he really likes. But anyway, yeah. So thinking about it, like it does not make sense outside of, outside of a, an idea for um, Christian marriage. So I get it. But the other thing is we've got so many of these things that we've developed that we think have just always existed. Like the idea that uh, marriage should be about love. Well, if you uh, go back, Joseph Campbell is a writer and he writes uh, The Hero with a Thousand Faces and he talks about myth and writing and mythology throughout uh, the throughout history. And he's his research says that really marriage being about love wasn't even uh, brought up in contemporary literature until about the 1200s. It wasn't until the troubadours in the Shakespearean time or the 1200s started talking about marriage being romantic. So before that, it may have been, but mostly it was arranged marriages. It was, uh, you know, like you would see on Game of Thrones, where it was for political power, or it was for uh, to keep a lineage together, or you know, to unite houses, or uh, because you know, for power structures and dowries and things like that. The idea of uh, marriage being between two consenting adults was not uh, plainly stated as necessary by the church until about the 800s. Pope, I forget who it was, but in the 800s was like, oh yeah. It's a great name. If the, yeah, Pope whoever. I'm sure, yeah, <laughs> the Catholics are loving this one. But it basically wrote a line that said, if if this union is not consenting between two people, it shouldn't happen. Before then, no mention of consent within marriage. And I think we know from other ancient um, histories that a lot of times women would be given to men in marriage very young uh, and without consent and arranged marriages wouldn't be consenting. And then finally, our, our understanding of marriage as a religious ceremony, as we get it today, you know, when we think of like a traditional marriage, we're thinking traditional marriage goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. And they probably picked out their one, you know, processional song and they had somebody playing the organ and God was there, you know, standing up with, with Adam and they had their first look and Eve comes down with the veil and Adam's like losing it and crying. And he's got his two bros standing beside him, you know, all that kind of stuff. But in reality, marriage as, <laughs> as a religious ceremony, being a priest and two witnesses was developed in the 1500s. So for the vast majority of Christian or of biblical history, the idea of marriage, our idea of marriage has been formed in the last 500 years, maybe the last six to 800 years. If you take consent, that's only in the last about 1100 years. So the things that we think are true that have been true forever are much more modern than we care to admit. Yes. And given those ideas, you hit on a couple of these, but what stood out to me as I was researching this episode was throughout history, we see three views of marriage. There are three types, you know, you hit on what's called the social marriage, which was, it was purely to, to combine families. A lot of times that was used to unite power families or to create alliances between kingdoms in ancient times, or as even to protect wealth. We see that today, families marrying together to protect wealth. And there was little to no religious considerations within these marriage. In today's culture, I, I read a couple articles this week preparing for this, that it says that so in today's culture, social marriage may or may not include 
a traditional marriage that involves a legal document. There are people who are just committing themselves to each other and saying, hey, you're my husband, you're my wife, because they want to commit to it, but they're not actually getting the government involved in that sense. So that's social marriage. There's religious marriage. That's the one that we are most familiar with that that we've talked about quite a bit so far. And then lastly, there is what's called governmental marriage. And that's a legal standing between two people and the government they they live under. And I knew that there were governmental benefits of marriage just because, I mean, I've experienced it myself, but I didn't realize the depth of how many benefits you get in America if you are married. And so just to, just to give you a, a glimpse of this, here's a quick list. There are tax benefits. You can do joint income tax returns. You can create a family partnership for businesses and a whole lot of other tax things. There's estate planning, inheriting your spouse's estate, receiving tax exemptions on estate gifts, creating life estate trusts, obtaining property if your spouse needs a conservator. Mm-hmm. There are social security, Medicare, disability, and veterans benefits. There are employment yep. benefits like health insurance from your spouse's employer. And as someone who's self-employed, I know how valuable that is. My wife carries the and, insurance for our family. Well, we have to mention this, too, right? you know, this is the one time that we can mention it is we're both marketers that own our own business. And so having spouses yeah, and our, that have uh, health insurance. Korea, I, I can't imagine having to carry my own health insurance because of that if I was unmarried. Right. There are, I'm, I'm going through the list. I'm taking a deep breath here. There are also medical benefits and death benefits and family benefits and housing benefits and consumer benefits, all because of the way government looks at marriage. And let me jump in here because I want to make sure that we admit this. Because um, I'm going to use a a buzzword that's going to get people on the right uh, of our listenership a little upset, but because we have the privilege, we're in a privileged position of being married, and that's kind of all we know as adults. Um, For those of you listening who are either single or are in a situation where you don't have that governmental protection, you are probably screaming at us that we missed a couple of big things. And I want to admit that right off the bat. There may be a list here, but there's other things. The list was so much longer. The list was so much longer. stigmas and other stuff like that. So for those of us, for those of you listening that are in our privileged position of being married and only ever knowing marriage benefits, um, just know that there are people in this world that do not get the same benefits that we do because they do not have that same governmental protection. Hey everyone, before we get into the back half of this episode, I want to take a quick minute to tell you about a new podcast launching Monday, November 7th called Unlearning Church Staff. One of the biggest groups leaving Christianity is made up of former church staff, whether paid or volunteer. In this new show, I'll be interviewing different people each week and talking to them about how they left church staff without leaving their faith. A preview episode is already out wherever you get podcasts. Once this episode is over, go subscribe to that new show so you get the first episode when it comes out on November 7th. That's Unlearning Church Staff coming out Monday, November 7th. That's it for me. Now we'll get back to this week's episode. Okay, so where do we go from here? We've talked about what we were taught. We've talked about what was good about it and what was bad about it. So where do we go to here as we try to apply our faith to government? Um, yeah, I think maybe one of the things we missed in the in discussing the bad, or or at least it was implied but not directly stated, when it comes to the governmental benefits 
And when it comes to living in a country like the United States for the vast majority of our listeners, 93%, the religious view of marriage is not fair and it's not American. I will say that. Like if you only take a religious view of marriage and say, we are going to give governmental benefits and we are going to use all sort of other things because of a religious definition of marriage, that is not equally protecting people under the law. That is not something that is fair. And I would say also as a Christian, that is not something that is honoring to my neighbor. If I'm looking at a neighbor and saying, can I allow them to do the things that they're doing and and still reap the same benefits? Like that's not fair. So that, that would be the number one spot that maybe is where do we go from here is acknowledging that, but going back and going, what's bad about our approach as Christians to weaponize our political power to say, Hey, I want to take away rights from other people just because religiously it doesn't fit our definition. That's where I would say we would go from here. A step further from that, and this is where I I have changed my views because when uh, back back when we were first talking about marriage equality, you know, in the early 2010s, late 2000s, I was like, yeah, you know what? My my thought was marriage should be reserved for men and women in committed relationships, specifically Christian marriage. You know, other religious marriage is okay, but everybody else, you can have a civil union to cover all the yeah, other civil stuff. unions. Civil yep. unions, are I was fine. right there. And now I'm like, no, that's not fair either. You know, like that's just not, that's dehumanizing people. And as a Christian, I I don't think that that's the best way for me um, to represent the loving nature of Jesus uh, by dehumanizing other people or treating them as uh, second tier citizens or second tier people. So that would be kind of my big overall. If I believe that everyone's created equally, I feel like I should be trying to protect their equal rights within the government. Yes. Even if my religion says that what they're doing doesn't match up with what I believe to be right. The idea of religious freedom is something that has been extremely important historically for Christians. Yeah. Because if, I am not open to protecting other people's beliefs and saying that I have to force my beliefs into these situations. There may come a time to where those people quote unquote are in power and can force their beliefs on me. If I want to practice my faith as openly and to the fullest extent that I can, I have to protect the rights of other religions and the a-religious as well, because that's the only way it's going to work. And while I believe that there is a sanctity in religious marriage, I cannot force others to believe the same as me because like I said, there might come a day where they force me to try to believe the same as them. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the other side too is like from an evangelical perspective, from the definition of evangelical and of evangelizing to others. um, I, I don't think the best way to get your thought or opinion across. So if your view of biblical marriage and especially where it comes to same-sex attraction, which we're, you know, I don't really want to get into any of the clobber passages or anything else like that about homosexuality, sin, not sin, anything, but whatever your view. We did an episode on that. Go back and listen to it. Yeah. Right. Well, whatever your view is of that situation, um, the best way to get people 
to understand the nature of Jesus, I, I don't think is to uh, legislate away the things that they hold dear, you know, or to not allow people to do those things. Um, you know, stepping in with people and understanding where they're at, talking to them and, you know, respecting uh, where they're coming from is the first step towards any other thing that you're going to be able to uh, to get across. It's not going to be by, oh, you're doing that? Stop doing that because that's wrong. Oh, by the way, the person who said that's wrong, um, I want to talk to you about him so you can give your life to him. Like he loves, He loves you. Right. Yeah. He loves you, even though he doesn't, you know, it's the whole uh, love the love the sinner, hate the sin part. It's like, that's, it's just plug that's for just a future a episode. That, right. That's the thing we've been taught that is not effective when it comes to, uh, you know, building relationships with people who aren't like us. Switching gears a little bit. One of the places I think we need to go from here, and this is the most direct I'm going to be on an issue this season, probably. Yeah. There are too many governmental benefits that are tied to marriage to limit it to only heterosexual couples. And I know there's an argument from the right that says, well, we just need to get the government out of marriage. Well, I mean, sure, whatever. But the reality of where we are today, there are too many governmental privileges that are given to married couples. Yeah. Could you imagine if they took away all those privileges and actually went for the person who said, we need to get government out of marriage. The moment that somebody says, okay, and starts signing that bill into law and taking away all those guys. Oh, are you kidding me? They're taking away our freedoms. Oh, you're going to, that's why the second amendment exists to protect all the other ones. And now you'd be like, you'd be out in front of some government building with your ARs and your body armor. It's like, you don't want that either. Nope. Yeah. Imagine when the, the mom doesn't have health insurance anymore because she can't be on her husband's health insurance Yep. because marriage is no longer a governmental entity. Yeah. Your stay at home mom situation wouldn't work out. That's for sure. I, I wouldn't have health insurance. That's for sure. You know, those are things yeah. that would not be protected. So, I mean, getting the government out of marriage, that's not going to happen. And because of that, I don't think it's fair that if someone wants to commit their lives to someone to keep those governmental benefits from them. I, I just don't think that's fair. And that was the argument in the Obergefell case about marriage equality. Justice Anthony Kennedy, he wrote, same-sex couples are consigned to an instability many opposite-sex couples would deem intolerable in their own lives. As the state itself makes marriage all the more precious by the significant it attaches to it, exclusion from that status has the effect of teaching that gays and lesbians are unequal in important respects. It demeans gays and lesbians for the state to lock them out of a central part of the central central institution of the nation's society. So the fairness we've established, and even that's what Kennedy said, and I totally agree with it, is like, you need to keep that fair. And at this point, what I'm hearing, if I were to go back, you know, get in a time machine, go back to the early 2000s and sit in some of those conversations that younger Eric was having the, the, the pushback to that, I believe is the slippery slope thing. Well, Hey, if we open it up to same sex marriages, why not two? Why not three spouses? Why not be able to marry your dog or your goat or your kid, you know, or, it always or goes a, to an you know, animal. pedophilia, all that other stuff. So slippery slope, which first of all, slippery slope is a logical fallacy. So let's just call that out as it is. But second, I think there is a key distinction that if we were to go through and talk about a lot of the different uh, um, 
we'll say restrictions or where God calls out um, things that were wrong with marriage outside of his design. Uh, I think where I, where I could agree with most any other Christian out there is consent is the main issue is I would say that power dynamic and consent would be the main issue. So let's just say, let's just state it out right now. Uh, well, what, what's to say if we don't allow marriage equality, what's to say that you couldn't uh, marry your, your goat or your dog? Because first of all, you morons, a goat or a dog can't consent <laughs> to being married. Like, let's stop. You're just being stupid. Well, how come I can't marry my uh, 16 year old that I think is cute? You know, how come I, Leonardo DiCaprio is getting kind of upset right now as we're talking about this, but like, how come, how come I'm not allowed to marry, you know, the 16 year old, 15 year old, 14 year old or younger, but it's because we have decided as a society, they are not adults and cannot legally consent. Now, back when the Bible was, uh, when a lot of the scriptures were being written and they were talking about marriage, uh, were they getting married at 12, 13, 14? Yeah. Cause culturally they had a different way to look at it culturally, but culturally now we've said uh, people who have limited cognitive yeah, abilities. We would say that a 26 year old marrying a 16 year old is wrong. Mm-hmm. Yet that's the story of Mary and Joseph. Exactly. Ish, give or take a couple yeah. years there, but take. there was that disparity. He was a grown a man, almost cussed again. He was a grown man and she was a teenager. So for those of you who are like biblical literalists and sola scriptura and all that, like you've got to, got to take the Bible literally. Okay. Then why aren't you for getting rid of consent laws? Because you know, culturally that doesn't line up with, well, you should know that if you don't, then maybe we need to have a different conversation, but like that doesn't line up with where God would want us culturally today. So, you know, whether you're talking about age, you're talking about limited cognitive abilities, people with mental disabilities and other things like that. It's like, there's certain things about consent and about power dynamics that we think, uh, we should be keeping within the sanctity of marriage side. So let's throw away all of these what about isms and all these slippery slope ideas and these straw man fallacies that really dig down to the deep heart of it is if you're bringing those things up, you are just uncomfortable with the idea of two people who love each other um, that don't love each other the same way that you and your spouse love each other. You think it's wrong. So you think it should be wrong for everybody, which in reality if you're such a you think patriot, it's wrong religiously, so you think it should be illegal governmentally. Right. And if you're such a patriot for America and freedom, and for those of you who are claimed to be libertarians, but really you're just right wingers that don't want to admit it, it's like you you should be for marriage equality because you allow other people to live that life and to have the same access to the governmental freedoms um that that the rest of us, the rest of us, quote unquote, uh, have access to because we are in a, a heterosexual religious and, and ceremonial pair bonding. Okay. So I agree there. I'm going to flip the coin around because I know there are some people who are thinking this and I want to acknowledge it. While I am 100% in favor of marriage equality and the right for same sex couples to get into a governmental marriage. I don't believe that a Christian pastor or a Christian church should be required to perform or host a wedding of a same sex couple. If that goes against their religious beliefs, I don't think we should force a religious marriage on someone who it goes against their religion. So as Christians, we can't fully separate the religious marriage from the social or the governmental. 
And others may be able to do that, but those two things are connected if we believe in the Bible. And some churches are same-sex affirming. For those churches, this is not an issue. But if a church is not LGBTQ affirming, I don't think they should be required under the threat of a lawsuit to perform a same-sex marriage if that goes against their beliefs. Same way I wouldn't I wouldn't expect a Catholic church or a Jewish church or a Muslim church or a Hindu church that doesn't believe in same-sex marriage religiously. I wouldn't expect them to be forced to do it either. This gets back to that religious freedom aspect. Like we've got to be able to say no if it goes against our beliefs in terms of performing or hosting the weddings. And this actually gets into Justice Thomas's rebuttal to the Obergefell case where he wrote, in our society, marriage is not simply a governmental institution. It is a religious institution as well. Today's decision might change the former, but it cannot change the latter. It appears all but inevitable that the two will come into conflict, particularly as individuals and churches are confronted with demands to participate in and endorse civil marriages between same-sex couples. The majority appears unmoved by that. I think this is truly a case of both and Mm -hmm. it is both protecting the right for same sex couples to marry under governmental guidelines while also protecting religious marriage for those who might have a different religious interpretation and allowing them to protect their rights under their beliefs. We should advocate for the religious freedom of churches while also advocating for the rights of same-sex couples. Yeah. It, and this is one where I have, uh, it's a gray area, I think, for me, because I, I agree. As someone who's performed marriages, I, I do not like the idea of the government or anybody forcing me to have to perform a ceremony for something I don't believe in. And that's not that uh, take away even the same-sex marriage component um in pre-marriage mentoring if there's a couple that i'm like this is just not i don't i cannot put my name behind this marriage i like to have the ability to decline to do their wedding at the same time if i'm busy that weekend i would love to have the ability to decline to do that wedding i know know, pastors who won't marry couples who are already living together Right. They, they, well, that, they can so say that. no. They can say no on that small of an issue, mm-hmm. but we're not allowing them to say no because it's against their religious beliefs. I have a problem with that. We well, need so to be able the to other, protect that freedom on, on that aspect as well. And I think you and I have chatted about this too. Is like I think Andy Stanley, he has a either a two or a five year waiting period on divorce couples. He won't marry someone who's been divorced uh, unless they're getting remarried. He, he won't marry someone who's been divorced within two to five years. And like, that's a good thing to like, figure out what the heck went wrong with your first marriage before. And we can even so get into, some... is that biblical at all to remarry after divorce? Exactly. Is it biblical to divorce in Is that protecting right? the sanctity of marriage for two people who have been divorced before to get remarried? There's a whole can of worms here. Right. And so the, but the. The slippery, not slippery. Can you you imagine if we made it illegal for divorced couples to get remarried because we're trying to protect the sanctity of marriage? Right. Oh yeah. Think about that bizarro world where conservative Christians were saying no one who has been divorced should get remarried. Then moderate Christians are saying, well, what about cases of uh, forced marriage and uh, abuse? And like 
the parallels to the abortion issue are so great. Like with exceptions, they can get mar- remarried with exceptions. And then others are like, you should be able, you know, uh, what is it? Immediate access to remarriage without, you know, because remarriage is healthcare or love. On demand with no know? restrictions. On demand with no <laughs> restrictions. Like what? The, the same line of thinking should apply if you think about a conservative, but that's where it just digs down and you know it's about political power and not really about the morality behind the issue. So anyway, the gray area that I have here, Jonathan, and this might be something that like, when does it become discrimination? And so I, I don't know the answer. I And I, I don't think there is a great answer between, um, you know, because it goes back to the- uh, Should the, the small the business baker, owner get the same- get the same rights as the pastor. Should the small business right. owner be able to decline their product because they have disagreements religiously? I don't yeah, know the answer to that. There's definitely a gray area. Cause I mean, I, I hear all the individual, like when the, uh, when the wedding cake for, uh, with the uh, same sex couple wedding cake thing, when that came up, you know, it was like, as a photographer, should you be forced? Uh, if you're like, this was an example as a female photographer, should you be forced to take pictures at an event uh, where uh, women are objectified or where the speakers are, uh, you know, are very, very misogynistic. Like, no, you know what I mean? Like, no, you shouldn't be forced to do those things. But if you take it off to a conclusion of like, where does it become discrimination? How far does it go? So I don't know. We're not going to solve that here, but I think it's good to acknowledge uh we need to figure out how do we stop it from being discrimination by, but also being able to give people their freedoms to not be forced to do things um, that go against their beliefs. So that's where I would open that up. That goes to the affirming side of things as well. There has to be an openness to not forcing your beliefs on someone else as well. Okay. You can be married. But do you really want someone who doesn't agree with what you're doing to be forced into being a part of your wedding? Right. No. And I would argue that the overwhelming majority of same-sex couples, they wouldn't mind if someone disagreed and declined to be a part of their wedding. Most people are not looking for the fight. I think I think same-sex couples just want the right to be treated the same as heterosexual couples. And they're not going to look for the fight if we give them the ability to get married. Some will, yes. That's the minority. The overwhelming majority, okay, hey, if you treat them well, it goes back to our homosexuality episode. If you love them the way Jesus loves them and treat them with respect and love, they're going to be okay with you disagreeing with them because you treated them like equal humans who have a disagreement. Yep. Yep. So it gets back to that whole idea of treating people the way Jesus would treat them and loving yeah, them the way he would love and them. love and respect their humanity. Right. And that's not just saying like, Oh, I like this, this same sex couple. Like, you know, I've got friends who are like that. And it's like, Oh, I acknowledge you and I like you individually, but Oh, I just don't agree with your merit. Like, no, if you just honestly love them and say, Oh, you're two consenting adults that love each other and are, you know, legally married. Like I would treat you the same way I would treat anybody else in that same situation. That's a heterosexual couple and love them that way and affirm their humanity, you know, then they might 
And if I say, Hey, I would, I personally disagree with X, Y, or Z, like that's a, that's a different story. It's when we start to split hairs and we actually say what we're disagreeing with is their existence and their lived experience and who they are as people. So ultimately at the end, of, we're going to go an hour again, because of course we are ultimately, as we close this one out of all the topics that we have talked about this season, this is the one where I cannot see a, why a Christian would be against same sex marriage. I can understand why you'd be pro-life. Well, I also can't understand racism either, but whatever. Um, (laughs) Of all the topics we've talked about, this is the one where I'm going to be most forceful in terms of my opinion. I just don't see where there's a backing to not allow governmental marriage between same-sex couples, even if you disagree with it religiously. And maybe you stop listening to this because of that. I hope not. I hope you stick around for the rest of the season and for future seasons as well. But I'm going to put a stake in the ground on that one that I think same-sex couples should be married and I'm going to vote for candidates who will protect that and not go against that. I'm in 100% agreement with that. Uh, Your rights should be protected. And I would advocate for any of you listening, no matter what kind of flag you fly behind your Ford F-150, no matter what color your hat is, if you consider yourself a patriot, a true American, any other stuff like that, if you're rocking Hulk Hogan's 80s theme song, I'm a real American, you should. uh, What's the next part of that? Fight for the Fight for rights the of, rights every, of man. every man. Bah, 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 bah. Like you should be fighting for the rights of every single person. And their right is to, is to be protected governmentally under the law and to see you, you should be fighting for that. Right. If you have two people who are same sex and they want to get married you should be fighting for their governmental protections to have the exact same rights that you have. That's it for today. Next week, we're going to talk about a topic that twists my brain even more than this one. And it makes me think of things in ways that are inconvenient. And it truly challenges me in a way that I cannot freaking figure out. And that's climate change. And the idea that before the fall, one of God's first commands to us was to take care of the earth. We'll talk more about what that looks like moving forward, because I honestly don't know. So it's going to be an open-ended discussion between the two of us. But for now, go ahead and subscribe to the show, rate it and review it wherever you get podcasts, share it with a friend, share this if you found it interesting. If you have feedback or questions or want to tell us we're wrong, you can get in touch at hello at unlearningyouthgroup.com. Eric is at Eric W712 on all the major platforms. And I am at Jonathan underscore Corona on them as well. As always, thanks for making us part of your day. And we'll talk to you again next week. Ta-da!